The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. And I, verse 4, began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more, for behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing, as though it had been slain, with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God who are sent into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, verse 8, the four living creatures and the 24 elders, and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and a golden bowl full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. For every tribe, every language, every people, and every nation. And you have made for them a kingdom and a priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. So, verse 11, I then looked, and I heard the throne, and the living creatures, and the elders, and the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads, and thousands upon thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who is slain, to receive power, and wealth, and wisdom, and might, and honor, and glory, and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth, verse 13, under the earth and in the sea, and all that's in them, saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. What a scene that is. May we unpack it to God's glory today. Will you join me in prayer as we start off the second part of the slain sovereign? God wins the slain sovereign part two this morning. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this picture. We need this interruption in our study of the book of Revelation before, uh, almost like Joseph had those seven years of great crops before the seven years of famine. So too, Lord, we need to see this heavenly vision. Father, you in chapter four emphasize as the creator of all things. And now, Lord, as it was written down by John, the very one, the Son, the Savior, Jesus Christ, the slain sovereign, the Lamb of God, the Lion of Judah, the Root of David, all the titles we saw here, coming and seated by you. But throughout all this, we hear that reverberation of those studies that we did this summer over the seven churches, that as he who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Father, Son, and Spirit, you blessed Trinity, we are grateful to see the activity that is before us. For, Lord, as we know, the things that we often see with the naked eye are not the things that you're doing beyond the naked eye. For we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but against principalities and things not seen. So, Lord, give us the eyes of Elisha had when the army surrounded him and his servant was crying that we're going to die. And you opened his eyes and he saw the spiritual reality before him. Father, would your spirit do that in our hearts, our minds? Would you draw us close to you? We pray these things today in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen. amen. Maybe seated. Thank you. 
Well, this morning, I want you to know as we go through this time that this is a very, very straightforward passage. Someone has written a, uh, a poem about this passage, and I want you to know that this is exactly where I feel this is where it's at. And I don't have an author on this, but it's called God's Perfect Lamb. And many of you will recognize the start of it, but you probably will not recognize the later parts. God's Perfect Lamb. Summarizing Revelation 5, it said, Mary had a little lamb. His soul was white as snow, and everywhere his father sent, the lamb was sure to go. He came to earth one day to die, the son of man to atone, and now he reigns in heaven above. He's the lamb upon the throne. That's a good summary, isn't it, in a very short form about what is happening here before us. And what we know today, and the big idea that is within our big idea from last week, is last week we saw that he's sovereign. He's on his throne. Nothing stands in his way. Today's big idea is simply this, is that true worship begins when God is exalted and honored as holy and man is humbled and eclipsed. In simple words, the more our eyes are on him and worshiping him as he is, the more we and this world are put into perspective. Because he is the sovereign one. And we'll see this on the screen. I want to go through this with you. It'll be in your bulletin as well. I want to review where we were last week before we tackle verses 8 through 13. We saw last week that Jesus Christ first is the Lord of history. He's the Lord of history. And with that Lord of history, he was brought to us. And if you just want to put those three up, please, for those taking notes. He is the Lord of history because it was God's plan. We saw that scroll contained within it the uh, many uh, examples of what it could be but i'm going to argue that scroll is the predetermined plan of god for the history of all the world your salvation world events everything and then we noted that as john saw this scroll that the angels came and they told him and and they said who's worthy to open the scroll and the problem that heaven had is is that no one was worthy there wasn't an angel There wasn't a myriad of angels. There wasn't John. There wasn't an elder. There wasn't a living creature. No one could open the scroll. But we found that his power in verse 5, that the elder said to me, weep no more, for behold, the Lion of Judah can open the scroll and its seven seals. And who is the Lion of Judah, church? Jesus himself. That's right. He's the only one. And I'll say it again. This scene that we're seeing is not some random time in history. It is a very specific time. It is after Jesus in Acts 1 went up to heaven, and this is his triumphal entry. That's why he's standing. He hasn't yet been seated. He's seated at other times, but this is the victory party that he had. He's the Lord of history. But then we also saw, secondly, he is the Lord of victory. Victory. And we saw that because he is victorious. He was victorious because, in verse 6, he is standing. And you said, what does that have to do with anything? Well, they didn't cut him down. He's still living. He's still around. He's still moving. And in that standing, he was slain, as though he was slain, your Bible may say there in verse 6. And in being slain, it shows that he died. It wasn't just a fictitious death. He actually died for your sins. It wasn't a hypothetical death. He actually gave his life for yours. But you notice also he was victorious because he was also the one with seven horns, seven horns. And that may seem weird to you because those seven horns, you think the lamb has seven horns. Is that symbolic? It probably is. But what it meant is that he's powerful. He is a powerful God. Nothing can hold him back. When you think of an animal with horns, you think of strength. And so, too, that's what it's trying to communicate. 
And then we also saw him there. He had uh, he had the seven spirits of God or seven eyes. And those seven eyes were searching eyes. God is omniscient. He knows all things. He beholds Proverbs 15.1, the evil and the good. And so too, we said last week, we too will have to give an account before God. We will not stand before the great white throne judgment for our salvation. You'll stand before the Bema seat like they did in Corinth to give an account for the life that you live to the glory of God here on this earth. And finally, he was sovereign. Those seven spirits of God speak of the one spirit of God that's been mentioned many times in Revelation 1, Revelation 2. But then finally in verse 7, he went and took the scroll. Who's he? The Lamb of God. Jesus went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. The Father handed the scroll of history to his Son. Because his Son was victorious over everyone and everything in history. And so... That's where we left it. He's the Lord of history. He's the Lord of victory. And today, he is the Lord of glory, number three. I want you to see first off that he is going to be praised by three groups of people. And they will be put up there as we go through them. But I want you to notice that it gets larger as it goes on. There's first going to be a group of saints that are worshiping him. Then there's going to be a group of angels that are worshiping him. Then there's going to be a group of all creation worshiping him. And we'll get there as we'll get those points as we go through. But I want you to see it's a crescendo effect. It starts down here and it grows, grows, grows and grows and grows. Notice verse eight here that the saints, he is praised by the saints. It says in verse eight, when he had taken the scroll, so Jesus takes the scroll from the Father, as it were. You say, how does that work? I do not know. I wasn't there. It doesn't say. And frankly, it doesn't matter. It just says it happened. Verse 8. And he says, I took from him the scroll when he had taken the book or the scroll. And what he means by that, he took the book. And the effect is it has an effect on all the creatures. As soon as that exchange happens, notice what verse 8 says. He says, he took the scroll and notice kind of immediately here the four living creatures and the 24 elders. What did they do? They fouled down. They bowed down. They prostrated themselves. There is no one now standing in heaven except the one who was standing in verses 5 and 6, the Lamb of God. All the angels and the redeemed fall down like a tree that says uh, uh, they cut down timber. I couldn't think of the word timber. You know, that kind of they fall down. And heaven is now prostrate before the Lord. They are clothed with humility. They are assuming a lowly posture. They are overawed and they are bowed low. That's important. And friends, that must be the exact same response in our hearts when we come before the Lord. Whether here in our own time or any time we spend before the Lord. We ought to be awed. But oftentimes we're so not in awe of God that we just go through the motions, don't we? We just do our own thing. And there should be in our souls a willingness to say, Lord, I'm here. I bow down to worship you just as they did. I mean, like Isaiah 6. Do you remember what happened to Isaiah? When he saw the Lord high and lifted up and the year King Uzziah died, he wanted to cast a curse. He did cast a curse on himself because he couldn't stand to be in the presence of the Lord. And yet so many of us, myself included, can go through the motions or even waltz in the church like it's no big deal. But guys, God did is a big deal. Amen. And he deserves our worship. Lord, wherever you're willing to send me, wherever you want me to go, whatever price you want me to pay, may we say that. Spurgeon, the old dead Baptist guy, said this, quote, 
He said, better to be a dead man at the feet of Jesus than alive anywhere else upon the earth. He's echoing what the psalmist said. Better is one day in your courts, Lord, than a thousand elsewhere. Verse 8 says, and so they bowed down. And now you notice in verse 8, these saints that are singing, there's a harp in verse 8. And now this isn't some like uh, 1950s cartoon with an angel on a harp strumming away like that. So now get that out of your mind. This is not what is happening here. Each is holding a harp. And what does a harp harp do? It, it should excite your heart. It should give you a soothing effect. It's kind of like when you go to a restaurant and you hear that soft music behind you. I know some of you call uh, your utility company just so you can get that elevator music, soft calming effect going on. That's kind of what's going on here. It's not a rock concert. It's something you can sit down with and enjoy and be brought to a state of mind and heart and body to just talk to someone. It soothes you. But this is the room temperature of heaven that's happening here. Those that are in heaven who see the lion, all of heaven is exhaling now and is relieved like someone is playing a harp. Why? Because there's someone worthy to take the scroll and open it up. Wasn't that the problem of verses 5, 1 through 7? And that's why Philippians 4, 6 says, be anxious for nothing. And you know what? I looked that up in the Greek, and you know what it says? Be anxious for nothing. There you can impress your friends with that. But let me say it again, and this is where Pastor Nelson gets me all the time. Pastor Nelson jabs at me. You, you, you say, you go too quickly two times. So, Pastor, I'm going to say it really slowly. Be anxious for nothing. Heaven can now say that. Because the Lion of Judah has conquered the grave, and he is taking the scroll. There's a stillness and a serenity here. And you notice they have these harps. There's also these golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Can I just take a time out right here and say, if you have Catholic friends or family, we do not pray to dead people. We pray to a dead person who is alive again, and his name is Jesus Christ, the one mediator between God and man. You don't pray to Saint so-and-so or Pastor so-and-so or Priest so-and-so or Mary so-and-so. You pray to Jesus. That's it. And that's what these prayers of the saints are. Guys, God values your prayers. He collects them like bowls of incense. I don't care if your prayers are like Peter when you're sinking in that that water. Hey, Peter, come walk out the water. Okay, Lord. He sees the storms around him, and what does he pray? Lord, help me. If your prayer is that short or it's as beautiful as the prayers of the Puritans in a valley of vision, if you've ever read that book, I don't care, and God doesn't care. What matters is where your heart is and where your attitude is as you go before him. Are you humble as they were? The prayers of the saints. And these prayers, some are yes, some are no, some are wait, some are altered, but they're all going to be answered. They're all going to be collected. They're all going to have been, none have been discarded or deleted. God loves his people and he loves to hear from them. Don't give up on God. Don't give up on people. Don't stop praying. Pray continually. And I need to pray this as well. As history is unfolding, we should be more of a prayerful people than ever before. As a church, as individuals, as families. Look, and I want you to also see here that they are singing. Now, if you're saved, you are a singer. Did you know that? If you're saved, you're a singer. Everyone is a singer. And not just the singers up here. Everyone is a singer. And it says in verse 9, and they sang a new song. Look, they weren't mumblers. It's not the bland leading the bland here. Everyone's on fire with passionate fervor in heaven. 
There are no deadheads in heaven, if you want to put it that way. They are, and I want you to see this, they are singing a new song. As their hearts humble, as they are humbled in their hearts, they sing a new song. Why are they singing a new song? Because they now know that, that what it means that Jesus is who he says he is. He's the awesome Savior. They now can see once and for all what was dim to them is now clear as sight to them that the Lord who promised that he would do it is now doing what he said that he would do. And what is that? That he would redeem wicked people such as us. And so they sing a new song. They have a new perspective. Now, however you want to slice it, whether it's racially, politically, globally, ethnically, linguistically, genealogically, Jesus has bought people out of the slave market of sin, and they are going to go bananas in a heavenly worship style to God's glory. David dancing and shedding his clothes had nothing on the party that's now happening within heaven. And he gives you four reasons. These are not in your notes here, but he gives you four reasons that are here. You note these four reasons. He first says that he was slain. Why is he worthy? He was slain. That is that he, he, he gave his life for you. He actually died for you again. He says, worthy are you to take the scroll and open the seals. Why? Number one, for you were slain. You were killed. Jesus died. And he notices also that you were redeemed. And by your blood, it says, you were ransomed. Your Bible may have the word redeemed or ransomed. It literally means purchased. You get the, you get the, the, the picture here. It's, it's telling them that there was a transaction that happened. And let me remind you on that cross, the transaction that happened is God took and placed on Jesus your guilt. And by faith and faith alone, he has given us his righteousness and his righteousness alone, that we'd be white as clean as snow. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransom everyone by your blood. There are no embarrassments in heaven. He has redeemed us from everywhere, from every tribe. There's another reason. He's redeemed. He's redeemed us from every tribe, language, people, and nation. And finally, what has he done for us? Entering verse 10, he's made them. Who's the them? We'll we'll camp out there in just a second. He made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign upon the earth. Friends, these are the reasons that they're praising God. Because he did this for his people. He did this for his redeemed people. I want to break these down a little bit more. I want you to notice here that he did not say he bought the whole world. Because if he bought the whole world, he would be a universalist. Eat your heart out, Unity Village, east of Lee Summit, and all the religion that's down there. We do not believe that everybody is going to heaven. He did not buy the whole world. What it means is he bought everyone who would ever believe upon him. He did not buy those who were already in hell. Jesus bought by his own blood all those who would put his trust in him. And there is a difference. He didn't hypothetically purchase us. He didn't hypothetically save us. He did what he came to do, and that was to save a certain group of people. There is a biblical word for that. It's called the elect. There are people that God has chosen before the foundation of the world to be saved. Say, oh, there goes Darren with his crazy Calvinist leanings again. Maybe. But at the end of the day, the Bible uses that language, and you ought to as well. Baptists have, Presbyterians have, even Methodists have for hundreds of years. Don't be afraid of it. He purchased the people. If you're in Christ, you are those people. Well, how do we know which people they are? Go share the gospel and see if they get saved, and then you'll know, right? 
But you understand what he's doing here. Jesus died for his sheep. Jesus did not just die for goats. He died for those who eventually believe upon him. It's a final transaction. And it says there, you've made them, referring to all those who are in heaven. He says, you've made them, verse 10, to a kingdom. The idea here is a citizen under the reign of a king. We are not rebels of the kingdom. We're not a kingdom of renegades. We are submissive servants. We are those who want to know more about this Savior. And oh, how good it is, is that we are his people. And he says that he's made, he's made us priests to our God. Because of him, we now what Baptists call the priesthood of all believers. That means that whether you are male or you are female or you are any age, you have access to the same Jesus that the leaders of the church have access to. Because wasn't there a time in Israel when there was a big curtain up between the Holy of Holies, one person, the high priest, once a year, and everybody else? And praise God that Matthew 27 says, when that earthquake hit Jerusalem and Jesus breathed his last, what happened to that veil? And it fell. You now have access. Darren, are you saying that anyone can be a preacher or a pastor? No, we clearly know 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, etc. There's clear indications of what that means and who's qualified and who's not. But every believer has the same access to God, whether you're a leader or you're just a regular congregant. We're all under the same authority. Does that make sense? May we never lose that. We are priests to our God. And priests don't sit around. They praise God. They pray to God and they worship God. We will reign with him. That is the first group of people. He's the Lord of glory. He's praised by the saints. But I want you to notice the second group of people. And some of you are really curious about this. Pastor, how many angels can dance on the head of a tire of you labeled pin? I do not know. But here's what it says. He praised by the angels. And he said, then I looked. John just keeps on looking. And why wouldn't he? You would too. And he says in verse 11, I looked and I heard and around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels. But notice how he describes this. Numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. For many people in the book of Revelation, this is one of those stops where they're like, whoa, angels. Let's learn more about angels. Let's put up our boundaries. If you believe that angels are like the 1990s movie or or show, uh, Touched by an Angel, if you ever saw that show, that's not quite what it is. Angels presented in Hollywood are not biblical angels. But they're also not so far removed from us that we have nothing to do with us. Hebrews 1.14 tells us that all of us have inherited salvation. We are guarded by angels. Does that mean I have a guardian angel, Pastor? I don't know. But what I do know is, is the important thing is not who they are. It's what they're doing. What are they doing? Well, it says in verse 12, they are singing that same new song. Worthy of the worthy is the lamb who was slain. Look, that Greek word is the highest number, myriad. It means 10,000, 10,000 times 10,000. So many John could not count. It doesn't matter. Just like verse 2, who was the angel, the loud angel? Was it Gabriel? Who cares? It's not about the angels. It's not about the creatures. It's not about the elders. It's about the one on the throne and the one who's standing by the throne. His name is Jesus Christ. Friend, we can easily get distracted by things of this world. There are so many good things that churches do that they sometimes can become the main thing that people hold their faith onto. 
You take that away, and their faith goes away. COVID church showed us that a lot. When programs went away at most churches, you know what most people did? They went away. But if you really love Jesus, it's not about the who or the what of the church so much, and there are priorities for that. It's about who are they worshiping in that church? What are they doing with the one they're worshiping in that church? How are they teaching about that one, sharing about that one, and loving each other in the name of the one? But you notice verse 12, they said, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. If you notice here, there are seven attributes listed. I want you to know those first four. Your Bible may have different wordings for these, but they're really the same. The power, the wealth, the wisdom, and the might, those four belong to God alone. The angels can't give those to God. You can't give those to God. We as a church cannot give those to God. Those are native to God himself. They are things that are in his nature that are to him. So what do we give to God? The last three, do you see those there? He tells you, he says, and honor and glory and blessing. Honor. Lord, you are the only one worthy of my praise. Blessing. Father, because of that, I worship you. And find, or excuse me, honor and then glory. Uh, honor and blessing and glory, depending on your translation. And then the glory, Lord, you receive it all. It's all about you. That's what you can give to God. Aren't you grateful God's not like you and me? There are movies before where they try and imitate God. Jim Carrey tried to do a movie in 2003 called uh, uh, something Bruce Almighty or something like that. And I don't remember much about the show. I'm not encouraging the show. But he tried to answer all the prayer requests of all the people everywhere. And he got tired. And and he said, God, I don't want to do this anymore. And like God was on a vacation or something. I'm so grateful God's not like us. I'm grateful he's not like the God of Baal, who in uh, 1 Kings 17, when Elijah was up on the mountain, and they, they cut themselves and danced around all day. Do you remember this? And Elijah starts taunting them. They're like, He's like, is your God on vacation? Did he go on a journey? Did he go to the potty over there? Where did he go? And they couldn't do anything. And you remember the story, don't you? It was dry as a bone, like it feels like outside right now. And he ended up taking three things of water, throwing it around the altar, prayed to heaven, and what happened to it? It was licked up by fire. Our God deserves all the praise, guys, because he is that great. Can I ask you this morning, do you join with the angels in giving God all the praise for every little detail of your life? From the fact that you got up in the morning to the very fact that you've been saved every day, all day. He says, worthy is the lamb. Notice that's the second time they've used the word worthy. The saints joining in verse 9 say it. They repeat it now in verse 12. But we give him the honor, we give him the glory, and we give him the blessing. The last group that is praised by this congregation, if you will, is all creation. All creation. Verse 13. And I, John, heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. 
I want you to be reminded of this. Will you hold your spot there and go to Philippians chapter 2? Philippians chapter 2. Scroll in your Bible app. Go there with your pages. Whatever you got. Philippians chapter 2. And I want to remind you where this is going to be coming from. Because this is so important for everyone and everything. Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 9. Paul writes, Therefore God has highly exalted him, speaking of Christ, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth, and every one under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Go back to Revelation. Let's reread verse 13 again. He says, John And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them. Stop right there. In heaven, on earth, under the earth. What is under the earth referring to? Hell. Do you know that people in hell will praise God for all eternity? You say, Darren, will God be in hell? I was taught as a young person that God won't be in hell. Well, that's wrong teaching. God is omnipresent. He is everywhere. His blessing will not be in hell, but his wrath, his anger, his justice, his vindication will be in hell forever and ever and ever and ever. Please know and don't believe What many people teach that somehow people in hell will be snuffed out like you can take a candle. uh, I don't know what you call those things. You can correct me after this, but a candle snuffer outer. (laughs) That's the official terminology. Does that make sense? Snuffer outer. There you go. You can go trademark that before you go home. But some people teach that people will just cease to be in hell. I want you to know here you see no picture of that under the earth. And on the earth, those who are still on the earth at the time and in the sea and all that's in them. This really takes you back to Genesis 1, doesn't it? When you think of the days of creation, God giving life and breath to all mankind. The point of it is, is that all creation is going to worship with the saints and the angels and give glory and honor and blessing and might to God himself. Why would you not want to be part of that heavenly chorus? Because, friends, that is actually the only chorus that matters. And so you notice that we will never come to an end of praising our God. Some people ask, what will I do in heaven? You're going to praise God. What will I do the next day? You're going to praise God. What will I do the day after? I'm going to praise God. Well, what about the streets of gold and all that stuff? Who cares? Give me that Jesus guy. Will you work in heaven? Yes. What will that look like? I don't know. Will you have a job? Probably so. Will you have a mansion or a shack? I don't care. Give me Jesus. Will we learn more and more and more and more? Yes, we will about Christ and about the Father and the Spirit, but we will never exhaust him. You know, there are sometimes our kids ask us questions about things and we're like, yeah, I don't know. Go look it up. Five minutes, go research the topic. Praise the Lord for the Internet for good things. I really don't know. But in heaven, we will say with all creation to him who sits on the throne, be glory and honor and blessing forever. Friends, I want you to know on that day you will have glorified eyes. You will see 2020 exactly what God sees right now. The things that didn't make sense now in your life or your church or your country will then. You have glorified ears to hear around you the singing and enjoy the rumble and the roar of praises. Pastor Nelson a couple weeks ago was at his North American Mission Board trustee training. He sent us a a little video about, brother, correct me, about three, four hundred men 
and women, I guess, included, singing. And you could just feel the roar of people singing and praising God together. In heaven someday you will have glorified ears. You will also have glorified knees. And a lot of you who have been to North Kansas City for replacements said, Amen. Because you will be able to bow down and get up and be okay with that. Your functionality, your mobility will be different. You'll have glorified arms, as it were, to praise him and to thank him for all that he is. You'll have a glorified mind in that day to say with all creation, I now see what I didn't see. I now hear what I didn't hear. I now understand why he did this. And so you will end with verse 14 like they ended. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders did two things. What does your Bible say? They fell down and they worshipped. Look, this is what you need. This is what I need on a day like this. That word there, to fall down and worship, literally has its root in being kissed. To give homage to or praise to another. Their affections of their hearts were growing so much, all they could do was fall down and worship him. This is what I need. This is what you need. If you're a mom here, a grandma here, this is the anchor for your soul. If your grandparents here, if you're just a single person, a widow, a widower, this is what you need. It's not the stock market. It's not Mayor Quentin Lucas. It's not Barack Obama, Biden, Trump, DeSantis, you name it. It's not any party. It's not an elephant or a donkey. It's not an economy. It's not the United Nations. It's not, it's not the gas prices. It's not your job security, your 401k. It's not how close your family is. It is at the end of the day, the security and anchor for your soul is the slain sovereign who's worthy of your worship. Is that what you're anchoring your life upon? Our confidence is the only thing that we have to rest our souls is this. That sovereign Savior took the seals of all creation, everything written, known and unknown, only to himself, and he opened those seals. But next week, buckle up, buttercup. It is going to get crazy. And I have changed the calendar a little bit to take the first eight verses in two weeks. And why am I doing that? Because if you look down at chapter 6, you are going to see the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And we may only get through two of them next week. There's so much there. But if you're a Christian, whether you believe you're going to be raptured out or whether you're going to stay here on this earth, I want you to know nothing changes about your eternal soul. You're still secure in Jesus Christ. Look at chapter 6, verse 1 very quickly. And I'll close. When I watched, now I watched the Lamb open one of the seals. And I heard from one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse. Its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him. And he came out conquering and to conquer. Friends, the next six, six months, five to six months as we get through most of the book, is going to be tough. It's going to require a lot of things. If you've been in Sunday school and you've been through Jeremiah and you're like, give me some good news, Lord. I'm lamenta- I got lamentations coming out of my eyes or something like that. You need to know that God is still on his throne. Whatever you are facing today, that old song that I was taught at First Baptist Church of Plattsburgh years ago. A lot of songs didn't make a lot of sense, but this one sure does. 
He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. Got the whole world. I forgot the rest of it. I still have Father Abraham and many sons. <laughs> Let that be. But guys, you need to keep that in mind. He is your sovereign. For Tower View, a church that's been here for six years, it will be strong as long as we trust in him for your family, for your life as well. Let's close out today. Let's pray. Father, thank you. I pray that we do have the true worship that comes by seeing you as holy and exalted. That that would humble us, Lord. It would, it would eclipse us. Father, as a brother shared yesterday at our men's breakfast, uh, our, our one purpose in this world, what is the chief end of man? It's to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Lord, help our lives to be centered around you. Help everything we do to point back to you, even when it's hard or frustrating, even when we sin, even when, as Pastor Nelson prayed so uh, just uh, transparently this morning from Psalm 40, may we just come before you because you are the God of our salvation. You hear us. Even when everyone else around us is against us, you are for us. Father, we are so grateful. We love you. We praise you. We ask all this today in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen.